This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Classic View from the Boundary on BBC Sounds. Hello, this is Jonathan Agnew. Welcome to another Classic View from the Boundary. For 40 years, we've welcomed some of the biggest names from across the world to the commentary box to discuss their lives and, of course, their love of cricket. Today, we're going back to 1985 and a balmy August day at Edgebaston. It was England against Australia, with the hosts on their way to reclaiming the ashes. Richard Ellison took 10 wickets in the game, while David Gower scored a brilliant 215. England won the match by an innings and 118 runs. I was 12th man. It was the last time I wore my England cap. So anyway, good impressions made on the field and even better ones off it, as we received a visit from the up-and-coming star Rory Bremner. With his amazing array of voices, the then 24-year-old joined Brian Johnston for a chat over lunch, and there was a surprise visit for our guest too. Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, it's, it's a lovely day, in fact. It's very entertaining. And you joined us at the lunch interval. And um, interestingly enough, of course, England did take a couple of early wickets. But most more importantly than that, we took a couple of early cakes, which is lovely. Some cakes sent in by uh, Miss, Mrs. Johnston Beckensfield, I think it was. And uh, entertaining also in halfway through the morning session when the England trainer ran on with the bucket and sponge. A nice jam sponge, in fact, which found its way up to the commentary box. And my lunchtime guest today is uh, Brian Johnston. Well, just in case we get a bit of a muddle, that was uh, a voice of a young man who has as many voices as Freddie Truman has cigars. Uh, he's had a marvellous year. I don't know if any young entertainer has really had so many appearances on the telly. He's got a radio show of his own, and uh, he does the voices of uh, a lot of cricket commentators, a lot of ordinary commentators, a lot of... Uh, personalities and so on. His name is Rory Bremner. Rory, in your own voice, very nice for you to come up here. I haven't brought my own voice. Yes, I have got my own voice. Sorry. Yes, I mean, right do you sometimes yes, find it difficult to use your own voice? Um, no, actually. I think in the early days, I used to do impressions all the time. But now that uh, if you meet somebody at a party, they say, what did you do for a living? And I say, well, I do impressions of people. They usually used to say, um, oh, go on, let's hear a quick Brian Johnson or let's hear a quick John Arlott. <laughs> but uh, now they've usually seen what I've done or heard what I've done, thanks to the record or whatever. And uh, so I can use my own voice much more than I used to in the past. Well, you, you, you mentioned the record, no, 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 19. Just tell us the story there, because I'm a bit of a square. I didn't know what the original record was. Well, <laughs> um, I don't think many people did, actually. No, the original record was, um, it was done by a chap called Paul Hardcastle. And uh, what he did, it was a strange thing, because he stitched together um, a very loud track with lots of rhythm and lots of drums and things like that, stitched that together to some reported commentary on the Vietnam War, um, done by war correspondents. And, and the major sort of leitmotif that ran through it was uh, the average age of the combat soldier was 19, no, 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 1919. And I heard this record, and uh, I quite enjoyed it, actually, to start with. But um, then I, I... The Richie Benno impression that I do, which I don't know... Maybe, Brian, uh, you and your fellow commentators <laughs> have heard it. Um, but in it, I do a lot of reported speech rather along the same lines as the commentary uh, that came from the news correspondents. And so I, uh, in the middle of a Richie Benno impression, once stuttered... And uh, the two went together rather well. I thought, sure, this would be a good idea to actually take Richie Benno, take all the reported commentary, take the commentators and put those to the same sort of rhythm track. So I did that um, for a friend of mine who works in a radio programme in London. And the publishing company listened to it and really liked the idea and uh, said, come on, let's get a, a single out and let's uh, do that. And it became a quick single. It went up the charts and... That really uh, was uh, received an awful lot of uh, play. <laughs> so um, everything was number 19, wasn't it? I mean, you would have had a good one today because Gooch, how many did Gooch make today? Yes, well, interestingly enough, uh, Brian, um, the highlights today, apart from those in Ian Botham's hair, uh, were an entertaining innings 
Pygooch, in which he reached no, 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 19. Uh, interestingly enough, I think it was Wood yesterday who scored 19. I think they're doing it on purpose, don't you? <laughs> What was the point of the stammer and the thing? Did the original one have a sort of... Well, the original one was all done electronically, actually. It was... I, I nearly stammered there. It was electronically. <laughs> it was... Um, it's a strange machine, actually. It's really extraordinary because what they can do, all sorts of things now in a sound studio. And it was all done digitally. Digitally. There you are. That's mm-hmm. a repetition for you. That's just the needle getting stuck. <laughs> but uh, they fed the word 19 into the computer. Yeah. And each time you pressed a button you would get 19 coming out. But if you press it two times, you get 19. If you press it three times, you get 19. Like this. And this is how they, they broke up the record and it sort of made part of the rhythm of the record by doing it in this extraordinary way. And uh, we sold 100,000. 100,000. Yes. That's not bad. What about cricket yourself? I mean, were you, did you play at school? Yes, sir. I was at Wellington and played uh, quite a bit. I only ever, unfortunately, got to second 11 standard. But um, I did once play 47 against her. It was a very jolly school. And um, moved the scoreboard along. In fact, the umpire told me to get a move on and I was out next ball. It's one of the things that happens. And um, no, I I used to play quite a bit. I now play for occasionally for a side down in in, uh, Sussex called Hove Nondescript. And um, that's sort of when I can. It's obviously been very busy this year. But um, that's, I'd, I'd love to play much more. When did you discover this gift of being able to imitate people? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was at school, actually. It's the old story about if you ask a lot of impressionists, they always say that at school they were imitating the masters or whatever. And um, I think I did that. I, I, was, uh, I wasn't that much of a sports model that I played in uh, sort of second and 11 level. And so I used to spend a lot of time in the back of coaches and uh, whatever other people were doing, I was doing commentaries. And uh, so I used to do Bill McLaren with all the sort of hello and welcome to Twickenham. And of course, it's a really exciting day here as you join us for the 33rd game between England and this uh, extremely talented all black side and these sort of things. And it grew on from there. And I married really those uh, sort of impressions to the sort of material that um, I remember hearing uh, as a kid. Um, up at the Edinburgh Festival, which is where I came from originally. And that's where I, I have more sort of satirical element to the impressions. Uh, where you're actually appearing now, next week, is that right? That's right, yes. I was just up there um, on Monday and Tuesday having a look around, and I'm doing a couple of shows on the 25th and 27th um, up at the assembly rooms there. And really, I mean, The Fringe has been probably the biggest influence on my career so far because I did a couple of shows a few years ago. And this was at a time when Rowan Atkinson was doing his first shows up there and Rick Mayle was doing, doing his first shows. And I think that's the sort of comedy, that's the sort of material, this kind of um, late-night satire review sketch kind of show that's always appealed to me, rather than, you were saying earlier on about a summer season, uh, rather than doing those end-of-the-pier summer season shows, I'm much happier doing something in a sort of dimly lit um, late-night show at the Edinburgh Festival, because I think there's much more scope for um, the sort of material that I do, yeah. which does, I suppose it, it does uh, demand a certain... Um, knowledge of, of uh, topical events and what's going on and that sort of thing. How, how do you set about copying someone's voice? Do you play a tape, and, um, you know, backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards? Um, funnily enough, to begin with, I didn't, actually. Um, it's just uh, as more and more people ask me to do different voices. Um, in fact, recently, um, I'm trying to think of a voice I was asked to do recently. Uh, Roger Moore, for example. People said, could you do Roger Moore? And what I did, I sort of remembered he was interviewed a couple of times, so I had a quick look. And I realised that he has a, a very deep voice, a very laid-back style of speaking in which he hesitates the same way. And, I listen. And, and so it's really when people throw new voices at me that I have to uh, have a listen. Generally, they've been voices, though, that I've worked uh, on by instinct. And uh, when you take uh, somebody like uh, Richie Benno, for example, as a King Cricket fan myself, I've listened to him for many seasons. And uh, what with him and Jim... 
I think over the years you, you get uh, quite a good idea of the Iridium and quite a good idea of how they sound, and, and it went on from there. But I, I'm actually having to work more at the voices now. Because you're doing television, so do you try and put a bit of visual effect in as well? I mean, do you try and look like them? Or yes, this is the thing. It's funny. In, in many ways, I think radio is a more suitable medium for an impressionist because um, it's easy... Well, not as e- easy, obviously. I mean, this is all relative. But as an impressionist, it's it, you. Uh, the first thing you go for is the sound. And I think um, I'm rather distracted by the idea of spending hours in, in front of a mirror perfecting what somebody looks like I think nowadays obviously with makeup and with mirrors there is a lot you can do with trick photography and things like that but I'd rather not actually because I think you lose a lot of the charm of an impression if um, if you try to look exactly like the person and you have uh, elaborate makeup it wants to be a bit more of a burlesque doesn't absolutely it? yes it's much more of a caricature which is funny because people sort of say um, is this very it's like the spitting image thing people say is this very cruel impression or whatever it's not really it's exactly what cartoonists have been doing for years you're essentially caricaturing a person their idiom the way they speak. Now, do you um, judge when you've got the voice right, or have you got a, a minder or listener who'll say <coughs> that is right? Or can you judge? I've got if a few got listeners who'll right? tell me when I get something wrong. But yeah. uh, no, uh, there's uh, generally I can hear it in my own mind, and also when uh, when I'm performing, I usually rehearse outside when I'm walking along to the tube station or something I can remember my first Kenneth Williams impression I was late for a train once and I was just walking along thinking I wonder if I can get and you say I was trying to do it and I was walking along and uh, gradually these voices and so occasionally I can turn around and find myself followed by sort of baffled commuters this is in my college days years ago now I don't get up before 12 well I do actually I have to get up before 12 o'clock do you ever ring people up them uh, with their voice? I mean, does that put them off a bit? I don't think oh, you've I did me do it. Up, I've done it to a number of people, actually. I did it to um, a Radio 4 producer the other day, in fact. Uh, I rang up uh, one of the people who works on the Wogan programme, this uh, Pete Estill. Yeah. And uh, he used to work together with Ian Guardhouse, who's my producer for Colour Supplement, uh, the little bit we do there. So I rang up Peter in Scotland and said, um, Hello, uh, Peter, is Ian Guardhouse here of um, Radio 4. Unfortunately, we won't be able to release Rory until about half an hour before Wogan goes on air. Is that going to be all right? And there was silence down the other end and um, he was very very worried and eventually I um, and also on my answer phone I put sort of um, <laughs> Prince Charles is very, very kindly answering my phone at the moment because unfortunately I've had to go out and get nappies for Harry and so these electronic flunkies you see and listen <laughs> so people ring you up they hear Prince Charles do they okay they might even no they might even hear Robin Day depending on <laughs> on, uh, on how I'm feeling in fact <clears throat> Yes, it all depends on uh, on the state of play, which I gather here is quite good, in fact. Well, well what about now, the, before we deal with the cricket commentators, other one people, I mean, someone like David Coleman, easy? Uh, well, now, I've often been told though, that David Coleman makes a lot of mistakes, and uh, they're a fair, in fact, on the sports commentator, it's funny, because since this record I've been associated um, more than anything else with sports commentators, um, there are quite a few to choose from, and the, the things you pick up are the people who make um, a lot of mistakes, like Murray Walker, for example. I don't know if, you're, if the sound engineer is listening, he'd better turn the levels down, because Murray Walker's fairly loud, and he does make a lot of mistakes when he's announcing it's Nelson PK of Argentina. Uh, I think you'll find, James Hunt interrupts, I think you'll find uh, it is in fact Nelson PK of Brazil. James Hunt is right. I am wrong. It is, of course, PK. There is Mark Thatcher in the Sinclair Sea. And you find it's those who make the mistakes that you, that you pick up on. But I think it's difficult in, in some ways to be... Um, <laughs> to be to be satirical about those sort of things that you like. I mean, I'm, I love sport anyway. You, so men- you mentioned a name now, not unknown in certain television circles, Wogan. Uh, you've been on about three or four of his shows. Can you do him? You know, that's an interesting question, Brian. And, you know, 
I've often been asked to do Wogan. It's, it's a hard one, but I found the thing with Wogan is, is it's much more... Instead of going for the Irish accent, where you tend to end up with a name and Andrew, instead of, ha, 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 yes, I'm a wacky Irishman, and this one, instead of doing that sort of voice, you go for the intonation. And a fine man like yourself, Brian, well, you, you will have noticed that his voice goes up and, and down, and, you know, on Radio 3, listeners get a bit closer to the, the old... Uh, the old tranny in the corner, and he just—he loves playing with old phrases, and um, and it's really the self-deprecation, really, that I aim for in his in his character, because he often uh, he does these things like, "I never forget me old mates like like Gloria Hunnaford, there's a fine figure of a salary, <laughs> and Jimmy Young, that's a contradiction in terms, these sort of things. Can you do Jimmy Young? Uh, <laughs> he's put me right on the spot there, so I'm going to go back to Richie. But I could do uh, Jimmy Young, I think, with a little bit of um, little bit of practice. I, he's, it, I think you'd then go for the, the jolly old thing you see, and what we'll be doing will cheat. It's, it's, it's not there yeah. by any means, but I think that's what you go for. You go for the, the jolly old up and down you see. Mrs. Thatcher, you see, when I asked you to form a government, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Right, but now coming into the cricket commentary box, what about our summarisers, um, the Boyle or Sir Frederick? Well, I have heard about Sir Frederick. In fact, funnily enough, uh, um, a few weeks ago I was working on a television programme and Barry Cryer came up with a lovely idea for a sketch, which was, in fact, Richie Benno um, was commentating. He was, in fact, in bed with somebody. Um, and so the, the sketch ran along the lines of, yes, you join us here uh, behind the guestworks end, and it's been an interesting day's play and uh, play a bit quiet at the moment. And it continued like this until yeah. I had to say, and uh, comment now from Fred Truman. And David Copperfield was funnily enough playing Fred Truman, stuck his head up between us in the bed, turned around <laughs> and said, Well, if that's me, it's not time to put somebody else on. <laughs> and uh, so that's Barry Cryer at that one. Thanks, Barry, <laughs> if you're listening out there. So Fred is a fairly easy one to, to well, do. Well, <clears throat> of course, I'm a bit fewer on cigars, but... Uh, I think uh, there's... Occasionally, you detect a certain amount of um, of animosity getting on going on the box, which is lovely. You know, it's like you'll say, oh, it's lovely. I think it's a two hundredth Test wicket." Well, actually, it's two hundred and first. Which, uh, of course, uh, <laughs> as anyone who takes three hundred wickets in a Test match will tell you, uh, it's, uh, it's been a good bit of bowling. Because I thought he bowled rather badly. And this sort of lovely, um, I think that's what makes this uh, the Radio Three commentary such an institution. Is really the interplay between the characters. Institution, I think. Well, what what about the great um, John Arlott? Now, everybody uh, thinks they can take him off. Is he the easiest one? Well, he's one of the easiest because, of course, he's got a voice which I would describe with the adjective Stilton because it's a very kind of crumbly voice and you know the way Thompson's been bowling out there today you'd think the bat was a protected species. It's a very grumbly sort of voice. I, think I hope he's getting well. Yeah, actually. I think someone's come in the box. Yeah, don't worry about that. Where are the royalties? That's what I want to know. Oh, what a setup! Oh my God! <laughs> the, <I> thought, <laughs> come on in, the real Richie Benner. Oh my goodness me! <laughs> uh, Benner, so, uh, do you recognise yourself when you hear him doing it? <laughs> well, I, I don't think anyone knows uh, exactly what their voice is, but uh, that's not the point. Where are the royalties? Um, actually, that's a very interesting point. Uh, they're on the scoreboard over there. <laughs> about 103. A lot of notes out there. That's uh, a typical English... Oh, dear, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I think what you, a you'll setup. have to pay up, I think. <laughs> well, I've got five pounds, actually. To go <clears throat> well, I, I'm uh, just going back to have some lunch, but I can tell you that I enjoy, uh, enjoy the record, and oh, I right. particularly enjoyed uh, the piece you did on the Wogan show. I thought that was... Very, very good when you've got the visual effect as well. Oh, that's not because they actually ran in um, some of the test match footage from last year, I think. That's uh, right. Of course, all the batsmen being bounced out, which I felt and I thought added that, to it uh, all. that all looked very good. And uh, the one they have on top of the pops as well. 
Oh, yes, that's... Uh, <laughs> I had to do that two or three times, actually, because it's very, very difficult, because that record just goes on and on and on and on. And if you lose track, and of course, with, there were five different voices and five different cameras to work to, and it was quite... Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say, anyway. I'm overcome here. Well, you, well don't, don't you worry about a thing. You just keep going. My wife and I need the money. <laughs> Thank you. Is that the first time you've met a victim unawares? Is it? Um, it's certainly the first time I've met that victim unawares, yeah. <laughs> I often wondered, actually, yes, well, am I ever going to... Yes, well, there, there you are. Well, you've, hmm. met, you've met him. Uh, the bearded wonder Very good impression, now, wasn't it, actually? He's, he's, he's over the other side of the ground. <laughs> no. I'm bowled over. What about the, the, the bearded wonder now? He um, comes in every now and again. The last person to do the bearded wonder was in 1964. It was in the Oval Test. The bearded snort it comes in, apparently, you were saying. Yes, he snorts a lot. Yes. <laughs> Can you do a snort? <laughs> well, I, 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 <laughs> yes, I think the last person to do a snort was in 1964 in the Oval Test. And it was an it's, it's really, the, vo- the way I did him on the record, we, I think we used him on one occasion. And uh, that was just to provide a statistic. Um, I did a programme the other... Sorry. No, go on. The other day with um, with Andy Peebles, when we had uh, Henry Blofeld on the other end of the line. And what about blurs? Uh, Is he easy to do? Well, Andy Peebles does him very well. It's essentially this, my dear old thing. Yes, it's an extremely interesting day. We asked him, actually, about... Um, the t- he's, uh, Andy Peebles said, well, how do you feel about not actually being imitated on the record? He said, my dear old thing, I don't mind, because there was a bus. There was a bus, which, uh, of course, it entertained me enormously. And I was listening to his commentary this morning. And uh, he, lo- he does get a lovely sort of tension as the bowler comes up. It's Thompson, he comes in, there's three slips, a gully. He comes in now, a blackbird goes across the ground. Anyway, never mind, now back with Thompson. He comes in now, he bowls, Robinson plays back. And as soon as the ball reaches the other end of the wicket, it's sort of subdued, Robinson plays back, there's n- and there is no run. He always sees a rare pigeon or a rare magpie. A rare pigeon strides across the ground, a bat underneath its wing. It's interesting, this pigeon. It looks, it turns around, it comes into the wicket now, it bowls, the ball goes, yes. I mean, you once saw a butterfly walking across the pitch. A butterfly. Oh, very jolly. Yes, got a butterfly <laughs> cake here now, in fact. Well, on the back. Somebody, uh, yeah, somebody said, um, I was outside and thought, I must get a cake, must get a cake up to the commentary box. He said, oh, I shouldn't bother. I should have got about 17 up there. I should have said 19, what? shouldn't I? They what? have got four or five, but uh, if you've got any cakes, do send them in. Don't please anymore. It's very kind, but we've got so many here. We're giving some away, but they're very nice. The ones we have got. Um, any other? Uh, Bob Willis now has been on a bit. Is he easy to do? On, on Bob, the... he's a very quiet voice, isn't he? He's um, um, how does how does Bob Willis sound? Let me think. He's not. Beside I mean, how do you pick not... up a voice now? You've got to try and think of it. I mean, it'd be easy if I played your record. You could then if imitate you, it. Absolutely. Again, more than anything else, it's the intonation. I mean, I'll try to get back to Bob Willis in a little while. But with Sandy Gould, for example, this is, I mean, one yeah. that I was uh, tried to work out. And you've watched so many news bulletins, and you think, what is it that's special about him? And soon you realise it is because he has a certain harshness of voice, and when he does news lines like the. Animal Liberation Front Day claimed another major victory when they managed to set free the entire studio audience of the Price is Right. <laughs> Report follows. And it's this kind of harsh... I think with Willis, what would I try to go for? I'd go for the... Um, it's the a slight draw, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a, a slight draw. Yeah, it's a slight draw. Um, it's usually he gets asked uh, the, the question that somebody's just been asked before, like um, Peter West will say, So, Richie entertaining day in prospect. Yes, uh, I think probably quite a few runs on the board and uh, a few wickets to go down by the, ed- the close of play, I'd hope, and it would go to Bob. Yes, Bob, what do you think? And he'll say, well, I uh, thought um, quite a few runs on the board and 
<laughs> and then he'll go. He'll he'll repeat the last phrase and then go into his own analysis. But I'll work on that. That I'll was quite good. Old West. That was rather good, Peter West. Uh, has he got a particular thing you pick up? Yes, he's got a very shiny forehead, which occasionally catches the glint on the ground when he he talks to all. Uh, he catches all the stars. Yesterday I was watching. He had Leslie Thomas, who of course wrote. He, he's always watching. If you notice, if you watch Peter West on the television thing. He's always looking down at this monitor, I don't know, by his feet or whatever, and he's trying to hurry the guests. Um, and now we're going to see the fall. Yes, no, we're not. Um, yes, I think... Carry on, Tom. Um, the fall now of Gower. Now, Gower had reached 12, and I'm, I'm waiting for the day when he puts his pipe in his pocket and you'll see, you'll see smoke piling <laughs> out of it. And now we see my pocket on fire. Uh, have you got any favourite chap? Or is there one favourite one you do which you like more than any? I like to do voices that aren't done a lot. Um, and uh, Dennis Norden is uh, certainly one of my favourites. So have you, you know Dennis Norden? Yes, have you looks familiar, before? yeah. Because he, if you, if you listen to him, it's... Good afternoon. Now, if you're one of those people <laughs> that can remember what I did to make me famous in the first place, then you're probably daft enough to enjoy the next 40 years of looks rehearsed. And somebody said, I, I did that once, and um, who should appear at the stage door after the show but uh, Dennis Norden, and the only comedy said, he said I, I really enjoyed that, he said, but just one thing, he said, I'm a lot slower than you make me sound. <laughs> and if you'd seen him, then he does all the gestures with the hands, which um, I must say Dennis Norton does speak with the hands. Rory, oh, we could go on for a long time, but I hope you'll study him. I must say it was a hell of a shock when I first heard you. <laughs> I was doing a cricket commentary and motoring down the M1. I heard myself doing a cricket commentary, <laughs> and I thought, goodness, am I in a dream? Anyhow, Rory Bremen, very good luck with all your voices. Continued success, and it's been very kind of you to come up here, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the cricket. Yes, thanks. It looks a lovely day, yes. And we're going now back for some cricket scores. Would you like to hand back to the studio? Yes, uh, let's go back to the studio. Just to remind you, the score here, 103 for one, and back now for the rest of the cricket scores. Wonderful voices and wonderful memories, and Rory's been a guest many times over the years, but I don't think he's yet perfected me. There's so much more from the TMS archive. Let's give you a taster of one classic view from the boundary you can download via BBC Sounds. It's the Monty Python star, John Cleese. Let's go back to a 12-year-old six-foot. I mean, you, you could have been a demon fast bowler, so terror of the other schools. I was too physically weak and fragile. I was incredibly thin, and um, so I used to run up quite a long way and then bowl fairly slow, which was quite a good trick for the first ball. <laughs> but quite, uh, quite a problem, too, the bat. One used to use, uh, in my day, it was a force bat with Jack Hobbs, but, I mean, uh, uh, did you have a full-size bat? No, no, I realised uh, it was only when <laughs> I got to about 18, I realised I had to have a long bat because the moment that I picked <laughs> the bat up, I was literally slightly overbalancing <laughs> towards the off stump because mm. I was at too great an angle to start with. Mm. That's quite right. So you, you had Somerset as your sort. Did you have any sort of England players other than Somerset players you particularly followed? Any sort of uh, the greats like the Hammonds or he was on even before you really there? Well, the Compton. Uh, it was, um, I suppose Dennis Compton was, was one. Um, but it was, it was funnily enough, it was more that old Somerset team that caught my imagination. And I think I began to lose a little bit of interest by about the fifth year in a row that we got the wooden spoon. <laughs> And then, as I said, I, I seem to get back into it, partly because the, uh, the Somerset teams of the late 70s started winning one or two trophies. 
I can still remember sitting at Lords when we won our first. Uh, what was it? I'm so confused. Uh, Gillette Cup was it? Gillette yeah. was it? Yes. What year was that? Do you remember seventy? 78? Something in the late We've been 70s, in the final yeah. the previous year and lost to, lost to Sussex. Yeah. And, and then we beat Northampton. And lots of cider on the ground. But was. it would never be the same. I mean, I actually sat there thinking they've won something. <laughs> they've actually won. It was the first time they'd won anything in a hundred mm. years. And I, and I felt it will never be the same again. Yeah. <laughs> the did, romance has gone Did, did you ever captain a side? Yes, yes, I captained my prep school team. I've got a photograph of myself walking off because by that time I was six, one and a half. And of course all the others were about four foot. It's an extraordinary picture. I think people would be interested, you don't mind analysing yourself a little bit. I mean, people think of you as irascible. You know, mm. oh, but that's Are only you... since Forty Towers, actually, uh, Brian. Well, they think of you as that. Yes, uh, because what, what happens is that people form a, a kind of um, a stereotyped image of you, depending yeah. on what was the last thing that you did. And if you go back almost 20 years, because I've actually been on, on the box for 20 years this year, yeah. to the time when I started with uh, David Frost in 1966. Frost reports. Frost reports with Ronnie Barker, Ronnie Corbett, Julie Felix, Tom Lehrer. Um, in those days I was very much a frosty sidekick and people would expect me to be around standing by, by, by um, David Frost. And then shortly after that Python started, only about three years later, and then I was regarded as a great kooky, zany, madcap, I can't remember what the other word was. Very often, um, sort of uh, the establishment figure who was being mocked, I mean, in pinstripe and bowler hat. And, uh... But that's not what people remembered so much, although that was actually much more yeah. accurately what I did. People kind of thought of me as just being wild and, and, and unpredictable, which unfortunately I've <laughs> never <laughs> achieved that. In private life, are, are you wild and unpredictable? No, I'm rather tame and predictable and boring, actually, rather quiet. Well, slightly introverted, boring. which surprises people, but you often find that people who are slightly shy uh, and introverted, as I think I am, are able to kind of explode into action when they're given a socially sanctioned opportunity to do so, like they're on the stage and they damn well have to be extroverted. Look out for plenty of classic View from the Boundary interviews via BBC Sounds. The TMS Podcast. Classic View from the Boundary. Alan Shearer and Ian Wright are in my kitchen. Mm. What's going on here? The all-new Match of the Day Top 10 podcast, answering a huge football question every week. This has not been easy, has it? Like the Top 10 Premier League strikers. Firstly, I think it's really hard to have Shearer anywhere near the Top 10. <laughs> the Match of the Day Top 10 podcast. Only available on BBC Sounds.